We knew this was going to happen. We knew we were going to have a lot to talk about this week, next week, the following weeks with all of the stuff happening in New England with the Patriots. We're going to get to all of it. He's Greg Omnick. This episode brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CNS Media Network. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. All right, so before we get into the Andrew Callahan, Doug Kide story, Greg, let's just start off with the big picture question, I think, of the day, of the week, and especially the weekend. Is this it for the Bill Belichick era? What do you think? Is it over Sunday, the last time we see Bill Belichick, head coach of the New England Patriots? I don't know how it's going to go down and the exact timing of it. Um, I know Mike Reese reported today that um, the Belichick and the owners are scheduled to meet on Monday. I know they've sort of had those quote-unquote appointments in the past and Belichick hasn't stuck to them. Uh, but I think at the at the end of the day, I think Bill Belichick is no longer head coach of the Patriots. I think it's, I think it's been this way for a while. I think that... Um, I think that the the lack of uh, pushback against the initial Tommy Kern report, I think that the um, the crafts refusing to back Belichick. I mean, if they wanted to have Belichick back and and were dead set on that, they easily could have done that. They haven't done that. I think that any half measures that they were thinking about, new GM. Um, new sort of setup personnel power for bill limiting his power all that i think if you had any illusions about that 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 would be successful for the patriots i think that the the herald story if you needed further evidence i think the herald story would have uh demolished that um just in terms of you know how they got here which is is largely and and we've we've talked about it time and time again that uh that Bill's failures in personnel and and with the coaching staff and the front office have led to this, that it's all sort of snowballed into this, into this, you know, whatever, five and 12 season. Uh, so I think that the chances of Bill Belichick being the head coach, um, you know, for next season, for 2024, being the Patriots head coach, I would put at about somewhere between 10 and 20 percent uh, I don't completely rule it out but um, I've I've been pretty decidedly in the camp that I think this is it yeah I think he's gone I think Sunday will be the last time we see Belichick as the head coach of this program and the GM of this franchise and you know I tweeted out earlier today you can follow me on x slash Twitter at Nick C radio the only reason that you could possibly come up with as far as keeping Belichick here, aside from the Tom Brady years, because nobody's debating the Tom Brady years. But when you look at his recent track record, the only reason to keep him is because of the defense. And unfortunately for him, the other two phases have been terrible under his watch for several years now. We've gone through the draft record, Greg. We've gone through a lot of the free agency stuff. We've gone through the conservative fourth down decision making, all of those things. One last thing I would say. Because I, I hear a lot from a lot of fans. I do think the majority, if not vast majority, are ready for Bill to go. But there are those fans that keep pushing back. And here's what I would say to them. To the, what if he could be just head coach and not GM? What if he could be head coach, but 
let Bill O'Brien run the offense, let somebody else run the personnel. Let, if you're trying too hard to make it work, it should tell you it's not going to work. It's like a relationship. Like at a certain point, if you're trying over and over and over and over again, coming up with new ideas and date nights and this and that, and it still just doesn't feel right, it's probably time to cut the cord. And when you're working too hard on some kind of grandiose plan to make Bill Belichick work here in New England, that should tell you that Bill Belichick no longer works here in New England. All right, let's jump to the Herald story. Andrew Callahan, Doug Kai had some great work there. Now, we've hit a lot of this on prior podcasts, Greg. We, we've talked about the offensive staff and the fact that O'Brien hasn't really had you know a lot of say in that, if any. Uh, we've talked about Adrian Clem. You were the first guy, first reporter that I saw really kind of talk about Clem and, and some of the history of Clem and not everything worked out for him where he had been prior. We've talked about the offensive personnel, but there are some questions from this story I wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. So Callahan and Kai, they write that, you know, Belichick pretty much would only allow Bill O'Brien to bring in one assistant, which is Will Lawning, the, the tight ends coach, which we've talked about before. And Kaylee left and, and Lawning came in. And then later on in the story, they write that they, they couldn't necessarily confirm that O'Brien wanted to absolutely have his own staff. What is your understanding as far as the offensive staff for Bill O'Brien, his frustration levels, and whether or not he wanted it to happen and Belichick said, and not going to happen on my watch? Yeah, the, the, the composition of the offensive coaching staff, Nick, I mean, I think you know, it's something that I've um, I've openly questioned the the entire time, even going back to uh, the the quote unquote searches right. for an offensive coordinator, offensive line coach. You know, it was all bullcrap ringer like, you know, Bill special stuff. Um, so, you know, what I understand is that, um, you know, just just knowing Bill O'Brien and how he does things and he's very much like. You know, he's he's rank and file, uh, chain of command type thing. Um, I think that he I think he he was hoping to get the opportunity to uh, compose his own offensive staff, but he was never going to dictate that that was only going to come from Bill and from, you know, from the looks of it. And from what I understand, um, Bill was never going to do that 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 you know he it was enough that he and again I do think that I do think that Bill at the end of last season I think that he had the intention of going forward because he he doesn't think he does anything wrong that he was going to go forward with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge but the crafts basically mandated it that like you know look Bill you can't do this and I think he he gave that to him he was like oh, he gave that to them that okay fine fine, we can bring Billy O'Brien on board or whatever, but that's as far as he was going to go. And, and so from, from what I understand, like I think Bill O'Brien would have liked to hire his own staff, but he, he that was never dictated. He was never going to speak up about it. Bill Belichick just never gave him the option to do that. 
the Matt Patricia stuff, you know, I actually talked about the Herald story because everybody's talking about it today uh, on my solo podcast, Nick Cattle Show YouTube channel. You can check it out. But some people pushed back on this and saying, yeah, but Nick, I mean, and it wasn't a lot of people, but there are a few. Yeah, but Nick, the, the offense was better last year than it was this year. So, you know, maybe Bill wasn't so stupid for wanting to bring Patricia back. I would say to those people, you're too focused on the tree in front of you and not the entire forest. The idea is that the offense sucked last year and it sucked this year. So coming off of a season where the offensive system and scheme was a mess and so many things went wrong, the problem here is not that Belichick went to O'Brien, even though that is a problem, which I'll talk about in a second. But the first problem is that Belichick looked at the offense last year and was like, nah, we we can run this back. We'll figure it out. Didn't think about anything else that like that. That was it was good enough for him. And I asked those people, was it good enough for you? The second part of it is that he went out and they they went and hired O'Brien. And this goes into what Greg has talked about ad nauseum. And we've discussed this for the last several years. Belichick's circle of trust. He is unwilling to leave a certain circle of people. He's not going to bring somebody from the outside in. He doesn't trust that. He's not going to bring in these new ideas. And when he does bring in new ideas like he did with the offense last year, he forces a non-offensive coach to try to install a new scheme and program or at least tweak it, which is just the inability, Greg, of change and accepting change and embracing change. Right. Yeah. And, you know, they're pushed back on the offense like, okay, so this year is worse. So it's like, all right, well, I was 350 pounds last year, but I'm 400 pounds this year. Like you were still fat the year before. You're just more (laughs) fat now. Like, I mean, like, you know, it's like, no, like, you know, tell you, tell me you're a Bilbo without telling me you're a Bilbo. When you say something, you know, like that, the offense, like it wasn't about, it's not about the production. It's not about like, you know, that they blew out a few teams and stuff like that. Like, it's just about like, it wasn't functional. It wasn't functional with, you know, Matt Patricia, with Joe judge as the quarterback's coach, that Matt Patricia was acting as the offensive line coach. Um, It it just, it, it wasn't functional that Matt Patricia was installing a Kyle Shanahan offense and, had no clue how to run the offense like you know could it have been better this year if they stuck with it yeah but it wasn't going to be good enough at the end of the day it wasn't going to make a difference right in their one win loss record so that's the point you know when you talk about you know not seeing the forest through the trees you know i think that's exactly your point that it you know yeah it might have been better that doesn't mean it's good or good enough to, to have a successful nfl team in today's today's league so i totally agree with you it didn't mean that Matt Patricia deserved the job off of what he did last year. Like that, that's moving the goalposts. You're now bringing Bill O'Brien into the conversation. The point is, he should have wanted to move on from Matt Patricia. No matter where he went to after that, it should have been obvious that didn't work out. All right, there's a story, an anecdote within the Herald today, again from Andrew Callahan and Doug Cod. I want to give those guys credit about an argument between Adrian Clem and Matt Grow. And apparently this argument got pretty loud. I think the term that was used was that it sent reverberations throughout the organization. Uh, Any intel, any information, any thoughts on this reported argument between Clem and Grow? 
So I asked a couple of um, team sources about a couple of things like, you know, look, I think, you know, these guys did a really nice job putting things together, sort of um, fleshing out details, um, you know, but there wasn't largely anything that to me was new. That's and, and I don't read everybody. And I've said a lot. I've read a, uh, I've, I've written a lot. Like sometimes I forget what I've said or what I've heard and what other people have reported. So I sort of am, am uh, relying on uh, Nick C radio, who is a media connoisseur hey. and, you know, who, who, who shoots <laughs> it straight and is, uh, you know, independent. So, you know, if Nick says, you know, this stuck out to me as new or, you know, I hadn't really heard this before. Like, you know, I, I, I definitely like relying on Nick to do that. But so I, I've asked that there were two things that stuck out to me that I didn't know, um, because I think, you know, the overarching things was the the dysfunction in the offensive coaching staff and the offensive personnel. Right. This is stuff we've talked about all year, even before the year started, you know, yes. going back all the way to the Adrian Clem firing. Um, but there was that anecdote about uh, Clem and Macro. And then there was another one about Bill O'Brien and how the the Patriots weren't doing positional meetings yes. as much. Or yes. certainly it was a it was a weird detail where they said not as much as Belichick and Patricia did last year. So that's the bar. Like that's you so you're saying last year was normal and then this is abnormal. So but so on the Clem grow thing. I asked somebody who would know who sort of walks in those circles. And he said, and he said, if that happened, it's new. It, it, it's news to me that he didn't know. I mean that he, he didn't know anything about it. So if that happened, I don't know where it happened and that it reverberated. This person would know another person on the O'Brien and actually two people on the O'Brien positional meeting as a group anecdote. Um, one person sort of rolled their eyes at it that it's, you know, it's, it's not really that unusual. Um, another person um, said, and, and I'm just um, calling it up yeah, while uh, you, right while, now. So hold I, on one second. While you call that up, let, let me point to what Callahan and Kyle wrote in the Herald. Um, so here's what they said. Here's that excerpt. O'Brien also pulled the offense closer to him running more unit meetings, which involved all offensive players than Belichick and Patricia had. Consequently, positional meetings became scarce, sources said, which limited individual time shared between players and their position coaches. Most everything flowed through O'Brien. Okay, so like I said, one source sort of rolled their eyes at that, being like, that's not that big a deal. Another one said, I don't find it entirely out of normal for the offense to meet as a unit, in my opinion. I also think this goes towards something that we've talked about um, the entire season about the, the the poor assistant coaching staff on yep. offense. Yep. And you can insinuate what I might have been saying along the lines. But look, the bottom line is the the assistant coaches on offense weren't good enough. They haven't done a good enough job, specifically on the offensive line and wide receivers. And if this happened... That's just a, an indicator of that, that Bill O'Brien was just like, what's the point in these guys meeting individually? Because they're not being coached how I want them to be coached. So I might as well do it directly. But I do at the at the end of the day, you know, positional meetings being scarce on offense. 
I don't know. I kind of find that hard to believe. Like, yeah, you know, but maybe they just did. Maybe they just did film review as a unit. Normally, the positional meetings are very heavy during the week on reviewing what happened in the last game and sort of dialing down who they're going up against this game, what techniques to look for and stuff like that. Could that have been done in a team setting instead of a, a individual a unit uh, setting? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, but I think that would speak more to how Bill O'Brien felt about the coaches under him, um, which included, you know, Vinny Sanceri, who played defensive backs, uh, Ross Douglas, who played defensive backs in college, um, <laughs> Troy Brown, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast, Adrian Clem and Billy Yates, who we've talked a lot about on this podcast. And, you know, in my opinion, Will Lawing, the tight ends coach, the one coach Bill O'Brien got to got to bring. I think you could say that the tight ends in terms of Hunter Henry and Farrell Brown, again, Mike Kosicki's more of a wide receiver. I think those have been two of the better players on offense and, and more consistent players on offense all year. I want to ask you about the timing of all of this, because uh, in the story, Callahan and Kide, they write uh, again that the Herald could not confirm whether O'Brien wanted to remake the offensive staff. Greg believes that O'Brien would have liked the opportunity to, but he wasn't going to press on it. But O'Brien's mm-hmm. frustration with the wide receivers and offensive line coaches began bubbling as soon as the late spring. That's really early in the process. <laughs> yeah. Were you did you were you catching any wind of of frustration from O'Brien towards the staff that early? The fact that we're talking late, we're not even talking about mandatory minicamp in in like June. Right. It's late spring is is really early in the process. Uh, I'm trying to think back. Um, I don't know if I caught wind of it that early. Um, but, you know, look, um, you know, and this isn't just this is from multiple sources over multiple years over the last two years with with this Patriots team. You know, I, I think I've been pretty clear that the the coaching is spe- specifically the assistant coaching has not been good enough. Um, it's been on film repeatedly. You know, conversely, I point out that Demarcus Covington and Gerard Mayo at defensive line and linebackers has done a really good job. You could make the argument that Pellegrino um, at times has done a good job, um, you know, with some of his guys. Uh, but, yeah, I just I, I don't know if I caught wind of it that early, but would it surprise me that that was happening? No, because once you once Bill O'Brien gets into the office and he starts working with people and they're going over film and stuff like that, I don't think it takes long to 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 see that your coworkers maybe aren't up to snuff that you're used to. Certainly, you know, if you look back to when Bill O'Brien was last here as Patriots offensive coordinator, um, he had a pretty good staff around him, and so you know, for him, I bet you. You know, just think of it from that perspective. Bill O'Brien, from where he was to coming back in the door, he must have been like, "What the hell has happened around here? <laughs> like, this is not the this is not the offensive coaching staff that I left last time I was here. You know, some twelve years ago." All right, I have more questions and get more thoughts from Greg, but first, uh, let's take a quick break. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, 
player props, over-unders, and more. I love the app. I use it all the time, all over the place. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in mass. Hope is here. First online real wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued at non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, back to this Herald story, Greg, from uh, Andrew Callahan, Doug Kide. You were mentioning the coaching, and we were talking about the offensive coaching staff. Adrian Clem obviously left the organization uh, due to health reasons. And in the story, there's this idea of Ferentz stepping up and being almost a, a player's coach uh, to help out the offensive line. You know, so, somewhat, somewhat interesting. Any any thoughts on the on the possibility of of Ferentz being called upon because apparently you know James Ferentz was somebody who could who Billy Yates could depend on and and it says that he also met individually with rookies and assisted them on the sideline during games. Just your thoughts on uh, James Ferentz being a player's coach here. So uh, my my initial reaction is this stuff happened the year before. Um, especially early on when Matt Patricia, if you remember, um, I'm trying to think back to exactly. So in the preseason, because we talked about a lot going into Matt Patricia is going to be offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. We're like, yeah. yep. how the hell is that going to work? And I think if I remember correctly, Matt Patricia was in the coaching box early on, like in the preseason, the first game or two. And yep. then he was suddenly like on the sidelines and Billy Yates was left coaching the offensive line, the in-game adjustments and stuff like that. And I distinctly remember in the preseason, David Andrews being heavily involved with when he wasn't playing as a veteran, heavily involved in coaching those guys. Ference was also involved. So this has sort of been par for the course uh, for them for the last two years. And once Clem, you know, went on the shelf or however he has departed the team, and I don't have anything – directly to refute that this isn't a health issue. Um, you know, once he left and left Billy Yates by himself again, that, you know, and David Andrews is kind of busy that James Ferentz, who's been around, who's comes from his, you know, his dad's a coach, his brother's a coach. He's probably going to be a coach that he sort of got involved with this sort of reminds me of Mayo at the end of his career when he was remember when he was hurt, his final season when they won the Super Bowl, he was hurt and he was sort of an assistant coach. This doesn't this doesn't surprise me. It's been going on for a couple of years and it's nothing that overly alarms me. It just goes to further illustrate, you know, how poorly this offensive coaching staff was set up. All right. One more anecdote from the story. Uh, and then I'll ask you a couple of like big picture questions coming out of this story. Jack Jones. Uh, it, it seems like we might have solved the mystery. We've solved the puzzle as far as why he was finally cut from the team. According to the story, Callahan and Kite again, Boston Herald, Jack Jones was cut a day after getting into 
uh, a kerfuffle, an argument, a disagreement with Mike Pellegrino, cornerbacks, defensive backs coach, who you mentioned earlier, Greg. Uh, apparently, Jack was not happy that he did not start in Germany. And at halftime of the game, he, quote unquote, blew up on Mike Pellegrino. Belichick decided to cut Jones a day later. Uh, any info on that? Any thoughts on that? Okay, I th- that was a new. Um, I did not know anything about that. I knew that you know Jack Jones was not happy and pouting and being a problem behind the scenes. I didn't know that there was a uh, confrontation um, with Pellegrino. I haven't asked for confirmation okay. on any of that because I really don't care because Jack Jones isn't here anymore. So um, you know what do I care? And I and I thought that the way he conducted himself, even aside from that, yeah. and along with the off field issues. He should have been long gone. Uh, but, you know, to me, it, it, it's not surprising considering that he got suspended by the team at the end of his rookie season, partly because he he blew up on Bill Belichick. So that he blew up on Mike Pellegrino does not surprise me. I was going to say, I, I don't necessarily think that we needed a, a blowing up at halftime to get out of uh, get him out. of. <laughs> but, you know, we, we got it anyway. Apparently that that was uh That was the icing on the cake of the Jack Jones era. All right, so big picture question for you, Greg, coming out of this story. Does this story to you set a cleaner path towards the end of of Bill Belichick? Uh, I think you could make that case, Um, you know, similar to what I talked about earlier. Like, you know, if you were, you know, basically this, if you needed this to sort of illustrate to you how dysfunctional this organization has become, in recent years, um, you know, specifically with uh, personnel choices. Like I, I like the antidote in the story about they had a quote from somebody saying like, you know, we don't draft an offensive lineman until the fourth round and a receiver until the sixth <laughs> round. I'm like, wait a minute. Was that source one of our podcasts or something like that? Like, <laughs> like yeah, here, immediately here. after the draft? Here it is. Quote, we, uh, didn't, we didn't invest in the offensive line until the fourth round. Didn't take a receiver until the sixth. How do we spend the first three picks on defense when tackle was the biggest problem on the team last year? Unquote. I'm pretty sure you could pull that from any Patriots fan who, you know, isn't a a Bilbo on Twitter uh, sometime after the draft um, through this season. Cause uh, yeah, I, you know, I found that funny, but um, you know, look this uh, I think the big picture thing is if you were, if you were any, say you wanted Bill Belichick to be, the head coach and just the head coach um, that, you know, maybe he would, you know, if he would be willing to agree to an independent general manager that say the craft said, all right, Bill O'Brien is now head coach offense. He gets to hire all of assistant coaches and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I, I just, if you, if you were under the illusions that that could work, that that was a path forward for the Patriots, I think this story should be a big spotlight for you to say that it's just not going to work, that Bill Bill is going to do things his way. Um, and, you know, even if he agrees to things, he's going to undermine them. He's going to do half measures. He agrees to Bill O'Brien, but doesn't let him hire his own assistant coaches. The, the offensive personnel gets neglected while the defense gets boosted up. Like, you know, it, it I see no scenario where Bill Belichick could be just the head coach of this football team and for that to be a winning sort of direction for the franchise. 
All right. As far as the timing of the Belichick decision, you and I both think he's gone. I think the vast majority of people believe he's gone now, but we weren't really sure the timing of it all. Like, yeah, there's going to be a meeting on Monday. Could there be a firing on Monday afternoon, Monday night? Was it going to drag into the next couple of weeks? Do you think this story expedites that process? No, I don't. I think that the the crafts were here all along. I think they knew full well what was going on in the building. I'm sure they've had conversations with Bill O'Brien. I'm sure they've certainly had conversations with Gerard Mayo. Um, they've had other conversations with people, front office, what have you, about what's going on. And so probably, you know, none of this is new to them. It's just new to the the general public. And so, uh, you know, if I if anything, if Kraft was wavering a little bit and was a little bit more open to hearing from Bill uh, about, you know, how maybe he goes in like we've talked about, that Bill goes in on the offensive and has an alternative for for Robert, um, could this story make him be like, yeah, that's not going to work? Possibly, but I, I don't think this is new for them at all. One last one for you. If we go off of the premise that Bill Belichick was valued out there in the open market, does this impact his reputation at all? Does this impact his value on the open market? I don't think so. Maybe a little bit, but I think, you know, most people view this as, you know, Bill Belichick's been here over 20 years. Things got a little bit sideways. Those things tend to happen. Um, You know, you would think that I think I could see an owner saying like, you know, just need a, a fresh start. And, you know, he just needs to start fresh. There was too much sort of collective stuff built up, you know, personnel, what have you, um, Fresh start, fresh set of eyes. You know, I think he'll be fine. That's that's the way I see it. I lied. I got one more. Does the uh, <laughs> does the chaos described in this story does does it change in any way what you think should happen next with the alignment and the head coach situation here in New England? Uh, well, aside from that, that Bill that bill can't have um can't be allowed to sort of put things in place or or agree to certain things i mean i i just think that you know look i think it's imperative and i think we're going to talk about more in this a second that you know and we've discussed it in the past but to me the problems with this team start with the talent on the team the lack of talent the lack of um balance between offense and defense and things like that to me You know, I am all about – I don't really care who the head coach is. I want to get personnel right. The Patriots have to be on the cutting edge of personnel in terms of, you know, not only drafting, uh, but free agency, salary cap management to to fit people underneath the cap and be creative in that regard to analytics and all that stuff. That's where my focus is. And and I would start with the general manager first – Decide on who that's going to be, who the best person is to bring this this franchise forward into the present day in terms of you know personnel and all that stuff. And then I go from there on the head coach. All right. Speaking of head coach, Belichick's out the door. That's what we both think is going to happen. Candidates, candidates that you'd be looking at, Greg. We, we've heard that Robert Kraft has been on the phone. He's been calling, talking to people. Um, I'm going to ask you about candidates. 
and who might be on your list. But I want to ask you this first. You and I have discussed Mike Vrabel a lot on this podcast lately, including Mm -hmm. the most recent episode. Vrabel came out yesterday and spoke to the media. And he came out and said that he wants to be in Tennessee. Now, (laughs) I know I came up with the conspiracy theory and I had my tinfoil hat on yesterday. And I don't know if it's because of that and I'm just being a hard ass with the idea of the conspiracy theory. I don't know if you agree with this, but I thought you could somewhat read into Vrabel's comment because here was his comment in totality. He was asked about it via uh, Teresa Walker of the Associated Press. He was asked if he wanted to stay and all the rumors and stuff. Here's what Vrabel said. Quote, of course I want to be here. And that's the headline. But the next sentence out of his mouth was, quote, be here as long as we can win, as long as we can do this thing, and it's been great. To me, that's leaving the door open a little bit. Hey, of course I want to be here as long as we can get this right in the offseason, whether that's Rand Carthon and I can figure out what this vision is, if we go out and get a quarterback. I read that like Vrabel wanted to hear the plan. As long, of course I want to be here, but we got to win. And I got to know that we can actually do this thing together. Did you read anything out of what he said? Do you think that changes anything that you've reported in the last several weeks? So uh, my opinion on what he said it was a whole bunch of nothing. It was a complete <laughs> non-answer. Like, you know, what do you think? He's still, he's coaching the Titans in the last game. Like, you know, he could just explain it away as, of course, I want to be here. Like, yeah, I'm here this week. I can't tell you about a month from now, but, you know, as of today, yeah, of course I want to be here. I mean, it was a, it was a word salad nonsense. No, he didn't give anything definitive at all. Um, I think that, I think that when it comes to um, Vrabel, and, and again, <laughs> let me also preface that, you know, I don't believe anything these guys say. They could say anything. You have to remember, I was in the room when Nick Saban said, I guess I got to say it, I'm not going to be the next Alabama coach. <laughs> and guess what? He was the next Alabama coach. The dude straight up said it at the podium. Like I was in the room and heard him say it. So I don't believe crap that comes out of people's mouth at the podium. Like they are just, and, and you know, Vrabel's just, he gave a very uh, politically correct answer that it's, and it was nothing that he can't go back from. Of course I want to be here. You know, if we have a chance to win. Well, a week later. Yeah, I didn't think we had a chance to win. I didn't like the I didn't like the vision. So I'm going elsewhere. Uh, so, no, I don't think it changes anything. I think that Vrabel is in play. I think that it's I'm sure the Titans have full intentions of him being back. Um, you know, could this just be a power play by Vrabel to get more money slash more power? Uh, possibly. But uh, look, you know, pro football talk Mike Florio reported more that you know about sources around the league think that he's in play for the Patriots like you know I I think that this is uh far from being over you know do am I saying that Vrabel's leaving the Titans no anything could happen the the Titans could offer him a crap load of money and he could stay and they could say look 
you know, Rand's here, but you have final authority now. Uh, you know, anything could happen. Uh, but I do think that Mike Vrabel is in play still, no matter what he said at the podium the other day, which was a bunch of nonsense. Any other candidates you want to throw out there and talk about right now? So, you know, just to give you my list sort of off the top of my head on on people. And again, I think that the the, the Patriots should be, uh, you know, as soon as this is over. And just remember, just in case they are intent on saying, just say for shits and giggles that they are intent on Gerard Mayo being the next head coach and say Elliot Wolf being the next general manager of the Patriots and both of them reporting to Robert Kraft, that sort of thing. The Patriots still need to interview uh, at least two minority candidates for each of those positions before, yeah. even if Gerard Mayo is a minority candidate, they still have to do that. So there will be interviews. And again, sort of what I wrote a few months ago about what the craft should be doing. This is a, whether it's for now or down the line, this is a chance for Intel fact gathering. I would be talking to the best and brightest at general manager and a head coach. It doesn't hurt anything. Compare and contrast Gerard Mayo to them, Elliot Wolf to them, you know, all that stuff. Maybe it comes back and they hire them, but I would be talking to the best and brightest at both positions. As far as head coaches, Vrabel tops my list. You know, I think he's a phenomenal game coach. I think that uh, I think that he has made do with the least amount of talent year after year. I think he's done a great job. Is he perfect? No. Um, I do think that he – I would want to ask him questions about his approach to offense. Um, you know, is you know a Derrick Henry run-heavy offense, is that what he wants to run or was just that just the personnel he was given and he just worked around it right. and did what any coach does? This is what I have. These are our strengths. I'm going to play to our strengths. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, how did the quarterback decisions go down in Tennessee? Ryan Tannehill to Tannehill extension. Uh Levis, Malik, Willis, you know, all that stuff. How did it happen? What are your views? You know, all that stuff. Um, you know, also, you know, Vrabel as a defensive head coach. I don't love that, but the chance of pairing him with Bill O'Brien, if he would work under a guy who used to work for O'Brien and sort of has shown an interest in being here for his family for a while, that sort of alleviate some of the fears that I have about, you know, when you get to be a defensive, when you get a defensive head coach like Vrabel, he's run into these problems, you know, whether it's LaFleur, uh, Arthur Smith, he's had guys, Matt LaFleur was his offensive coordinator for one year in Tennessee. And then he goes and be, uh, and he's the Packers head coach. Arthur Smith was a year or two. Then he's the Falcons head coach. That's what happens when you get a defensive head coach. But if a Bill O'Brien or a Josh McDaniels would agree to, Hey, Here's a 10-year contract. Be my offensive coordinator. They would agree to it. That's a much better setup for me. I just think Mike Vrabel has so much experience. I think he's such a damn good coach and knows how to run a program that he's my number one candidate. I would definitely talk to Ben Johnson with the Lions. Jim Harbaugh, I would talk to. I'm a little bit leery of him because he sort of burns hot after about five years. Brian Flores would certainly be on my list. Um I think he did a lot of good things in Miami. He would have to answer a lot of questions about Tua, his attitude towards offense. Uh, but I'm curious what he learned under Mike Conlon in Pittsburgh, what he's learned under Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota in terms of now he's seen how different operations run. He's, he has seen how a quarterback-friendly offense runs. You know, who would he be bringing to be his offensive coordinator, stuff like that. 
I would interview Bill O'Brien as a head coach. I mean, I know a lot of people just can't, like you referred to earlier, you know, the recency bias. They're just like, oh, God, his offense, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the fact is the guy won, I think, four division titles with the Texans with crappy talent. Uh, what he did at Penn State, you know, what he's learned. Um, I would certainly be interested in talking to him. Bobby Slowick uh, is the offensive coordinator from with the Texans. He came from Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. Is he ready? I would, you know, when push comes to shove, I would rather go with an offensive guy because you know he's going to be there with the quarterback and have a plan. He did a great job with um, CJ, what's his name? Stroud. CJ Stroud in Houston. You're going to have probably a first round draft pick coming in. That's a bonus for him. And you pair, you pair a first round draft pick at quarterback with an offensive head coach who's already made Stroud work in Houston. That's very impressive. Josh McDaniels, I would talk to as well. Again, recently Bryce is going to have uh, a certain reflection on that. I still think he's a hell of a coach. And, and I think there are, I know there are people out there who believe that a lot of what went in what went wrong with the Raiders was more of a symptom of Mark Davis's dysfunction. You have to flesh that out, ask him about it, ask other people about it. And then of course, Gerard Mayo. I mean, I think he's going to be a head coach and a successful one, one day. Um, do I think he's ready yet? No, I would want more time, but certainly he would be somebody that I would be interesting in talking to and lining him up with a bunch of other people. How much does experience play a role? Because you just mentioned about Mayo. Slowick's been a play caller for one year in Houston. If you're Robert Kraft, Greg, are you looking at this as, I've got to get a guy in here that's been at least a coordinator for a couple of years. I, I, can't, I can't put this situation with all of these questions and replacing Belichick and all this stuff. Go- I can't. I think Bobby Slowick's going to be great. And this isn't me. This is Kraft. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think slow, it could end up being really good, but I'm not comfortable handing the keys to a guy that that's been an offensive coordinator for a year. I, um, I totally agree. Um, I, you know, and given their track record of hiring Pete Carroll and hiring Bill Belichick, and we've been over that, you know, how they were successful defensive coordinators at multiple stops also had experience as head coaches. Um, you would think that they would tilt in that direction, um, I would be willing to take a chance on an offensive-minded head coach when you look at the track record. Yes, he's just one year as a coordinator, but that would be very similar to McVay, LaFleur. Yep. Like, you know, a lot of these guys who came out of the Shanahan tree, um, I think also um, I want to say the guy in Cincinnati, um, Zach Taylor, I think he's very similar. This has been sort of the M.O. Um, So I would be a little bit better about that. The big thing, Nick, for me, and this goes more towards, you know, Mayo's candidacy is like, you know, again, I have a hard time making the case for Gerard other than I think he has a bright future. I know he's incredibly bright. I know he's his own man and he knows how to lead a room, which is all key stuff. And, and, you know, he's impressive in a lot of ways. Uh, but, you know, you're talking about at the end of the day, you're talking about a person who's only been at one Patriot place for his entire football career, both as a player and a coach. You'd be promoting somebody 
from an organization, from a team that just posted three losing seasons in four years while he was uh, one of the de facto defensive coordinators. Granted, the defense has done fine and done its part. Um, he's never called defensive plays. Yes, he's run the room, but you know, you know, you have to have some experience under fire calling something in the heat of the moment. Play clocks running down. He doesn't do that. He's just signaling. Uh, he's just signaling substitutions. Steve Belichick's the one who you would say has more sort of experience doing that. And you know, and, and you know, basically to to go back to it. Um, you know, the track record of Bill Belichick's assistants becoming first-time head coaches, knowing nothing other than what goes on at Patriot Place and watching Bill Belichick, uh, the, the, the track record just hasn't been very good. So, I, you know, I just have a hard case making it for Mayo. I would be okay, a little bit more okay with the offensive thing because I've seen it work in other places. One year as an offensive coordinator, okay, not great, but it's worked in other yeah. places coming out of the Shanahan tree. Not sure if you mentioned him. I didn't hear, but Mike McDaniel would be another one that's on the list of, you know, OC yes. for one year and then made the jump from San Francisco. He never called plays and he never called plays. Yeah. Um, and I, I've heard people, I, I've heard people bring this up and I've heard people say, well, John Harbaugh before he got the Ravens job was never a coordinator. That's not true. John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator. Yeah. And you talk to a lot of people around the league and they think that's the toughest job. Well, you know, probably next to OC, but that it's a much tougher job than being a defensive coordinator because you're dealing with guys going in and out and injuries and who am I going to have and stuff like that. And he was widely respected as a great de- uh, special teams coordinator with the Eagles. So I just wanted to correct that because I've heard that in a lot of places about how John Harbaugh wasn't a coordinator. That's not true. He was a special teams coordinator and that is n- not something to sniff at. Yeah. Well, what the, what the 49ers do with Shanahan is they have like a run game specialist, run game coordinator, passing game coordinator. That's what that's how he sets it up. And then he's the offensive coordinator who calls the actual plays. So when you look at Mike McDaniel before McDaniel went to Miami, he was the run game coordinator uh, for a year. Then he was the offensive coordinator in title. But again, Shanahan was calling the plays. Slowick was the offensive pass game specialist at first. And then he became the offensive passing game coordinator. And that's why he made the leap to Houston, because intelligently he gets the opportunity to call plays in Houston to take that next step in his professional journey so he can sell a Robert Kraft on the idea. Hey, I know what I'm doing. By the way, Bobby Sloak looks like he's 15. So there is that. Um, oh, just, really? I'm not, I don't even know what he looks like. So, I'll have to Google him. <laughs> I have so many questions. I feel like I could go three hours with you. I'm not feeling so, so did Matt LaFleur. Doesn't Matt LaFleur look about 15, too? Well, oh, my did. God. Bobby Sloak does look about 15. <laughs> he's, getting his, he's getting ready for his high school prom. Um, Seriously. Quickly on Gerard Mayo. If Mayo gets bypassed, could you see him stay here and, and be up to to go into this idea of coordinator a year of that experience could you see him get the bump to defensive coordinator slash assistant head coach with somebody from outside the system um yes i mean look i think gerard would be disappointed i think as we talked about in the last podcast i think gerard has a lot of confidence in himself and has been angling for a head coaching job for a long time and and thinks that this is his coming up here and if he gets bypassed um, I think there will be some hurt feelings and, and he'll certainly get interviews to be a head coach elsewhere. But I do think at the end of the day, I think the best thing 
for the Patriots and for Gerard Mayo. In my this look, this is my opinion, and a lot of people are going to be against it. But Mike Vrabel is head coach. Uh, Gerard Mayo as defensive coordinator, assuming Bill Belichick goes and coaches elsewhere and takes Steve Belichick with him. Uh, Gerard Mayo is assistant head coach slash defensive coordinator. He gets to run the whole shop, call all the plays, uh, and Bill O'Brien as offensive coordinator. To me, that's the best setup for success for the Patriots going forward. Um, plus, you know, maybe an Adam Peters or somebody like that as general manager. You know, sign me up for that alignment. One last one. Defensive side, because we kind of started this journey talking about Bill Belichick, and I mentioned that really the only thing that you could look at over the last four years post-Brady that would would lead you to keep Belichick is the defense. Belichick's, let's say Belichick's out, the little Belichick's follow behind, and Mayo doesn't get the head coaching job. He's like, screw you, I'm leaving New England. I was the heir apparent. You peed on my foot. I'm out of here. How about DeMarcus Covington? Mm-hmm. Any shot at defensive coordinator with him staying in town? I think that the the Kraus would probably push it. And by the way, you know, while that's my dream alignment, if I am Gerard, and this is sort of the same advice that I had for Steve Belichick, you know, going back a couple of years. If I'm Gerard, I am going someplace else outside yeah. of the Patriot system, and I'm going to become defensive coordinator. Yep. Um, I think he should have done that already. And I think he if he would have done that a few years ago, and I understand he's been here for a long time. His family's here. His home's here. I understand all that and respect that. Uh, But, you know, the best thing for his career would have been going someplace else like a Kyle Shanahan and proving himself elsewhere. And he he might be the Patriots head coach right now if he would have done that, say, two or three years ago. Um, You know, I, I do think that. Uh, wait, so what was the question again? I lost my train of thought. Concerned about losing too much from the defense. Uh, could you see DeMarcus Covington staying here to bring oh. that continuity from this this iteration of the Patriots to the next one? Yeah, if Gerard's not here and he doesn't, if that's not palpable for him, then um, I think that are palatable, um, palpable. Uh, if that's not palatable for him, then I would love to see DeMarcus Covington get a shot. I think he is a... I I think he's just done a tremendous job um, since he's been defensive line coach. His unit's been arguably the best unit on this team going on multiple years. Um, I think he's done a great job. So, yeah, I would I would love to see that. All right. Check us out over at BSJ. 50 bucks for the year. Bedard, Giardi, you know, the whole team. Check them out. Uh, we're going to get to the pick for this week. Um, I don't think either of us are super excited about making a pick on this game. <laughs> who gives a shit, but uh, I will remind you that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel exclusive wagering partner, of the CLNS media network, new customers receive 150 bucks in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Before I uh, drop the line, I will update you. Evan Lazar posts Trent Brown, the lone Patriot player who didn't practice quote unquote illness. I did the quote unquote. Evan just put it in parentheses. Miles Bryant was upgraded to limited. Um, Here are the limited players. Get ready. Barmore, Brown, Bryant, Henry, Jennings, Jonathan Jones, Devontae Parker, Peppers, Slater, Tavai, Wade. Lots of limited dudes. So that's the backdrop. The line is Patriots minus a point and a half, Greg. That's according to our friends at FanDuel. 
The over under mm-hmm. is an explosive 30 and a half. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I tried not to laugh, but I couldn't help it. 30 and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so P shooters. <laughs> it's so bad. All right. So, it's embarrassing. So we got, we got Bailey Zappi on one side, Trevor Simeon on the other side. What do you think, Greg? I'm on cloud nine. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and l- not to mention, we're head for a, headed for a snowstorm. Yes, which uh, yes. could be hitting during the game. Yes. Um, I might come over. By the way, if you're not, if you're not, if you don't go to the game, Greg, I might, I might shack over your house because I'll probably lose electric <laughs> within like three hours. <laughs> there you go. Always welcome. Um, you know, look. I don't give a crap about this game. Nobody gives a crap about this game. I think, you know, everybody, I haven't looked too deeply into it, but it seems like just about every team is just like, yeah, week 18, screw it. Like, you know, even the commanders aren't playing anybody. And like, uh, you know, as they sit in the number two seat, it's Belichick's last game. Um, you know, they're going to close with uh, a five and 12 record. By the way, we should mention that, Another parallel to Belichick's first season, along with being uh, this season being the worst record since then. Um, no Patriots Pro Bowlers for the first yes. time since the year 2000. Congratulations. Yes, um, which should tell you a lot. Uh, look, I think the Patriots are going to win. The Jets stink. Like, I think they're going to be even more cashed out than the Patriots. Um, so, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, probably <laughs> watch them put up like 30 points or something yeah. like that. And I can't tell you how I can't wait to see how excited Bailey Zappi is um, after this game when they win 30 to 10 or something like that. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Patriots, uh, Patriots, 23 Jets, nine, something like that. It's week 18. They got nothing to play for, um, you know, records wise. Guys get paid to do their job. Coaches coach. They're going to try to win the football game. That's what they should do. The fact that Jabril Peppers came back to practice today and he told the media, I'm going to play on Sunday. That should tell you everything you need to know about how this is going to be approached. Peppers has been banged up for the last few weeks. The guy has played his ass off all year long. If there was one player who was going to get the say la vie week 18, get ready for your vacation treatment. It would have been Jabril Peppers. So the fact that he's playing on Sunday, Belichick is going to war, baby. He, he wants to bury the Jets. He wants to murder them on television. I can't imagine seeing Belichick and the Patriots losing this game. And I know Zappi could throw four picks. Crazy things can happen. Might be a foot of snow. I just I'm not going to bet against the Patriots. Final game of Belichick's career, likely in New England, his hatred of the Jets. Everybody's going to play that can play. I would say lay the points, point and a half, take the under, because I can't bet either of these teams scoring more than 20 points. So I take the under. One more question, Greg. Oh. How does it all end with Bill Belichick on Sunday? Is there a standing ovation? Is there any acknowledgement from the crafts in regards to maybe putting him up on the scoreboard? For, for, you know, as he walks off, is there is there any indication from Belichick? You know, like a, I love to see him, you know, do the little the little shooter McGavin out to the crowd. <laughs> I want Belichick to do something totally out of character, like rip his hoodie off and just start like flexing and point to the crowd. 
is there is there anything to the ending of Sunday's game that might surprise so, us, surprise us, or we should expect? So my my pr- prediction for how this ends up, aside from a Patriots win. I don't think there is any like longing shot on the video board. I don't think the crafts do anything like that. I think um, I think Bill pretty much goes off the same way. Things as usual. Um, I think he would be dead set against anything else if the crafts tried to do that. I think um, Bears would um, kneecap some people if they tried <laughs> to do anything. Um, you know, but I do think that there will be. I think there will be a chant. Towards the end of the game, um, like a thank you, Bill chant. I think that will happen. I think there will be a rousing standing ovation, provided people actually go to the game and stay for the end of this game in a snowstorm. I think there will be an ovation to him going off the field. Um, I do think that we will get a wave from Bill. I oh. think that we will get a wave. I like it. I think we'll get a little wave. Maybe it could be like a Nixon, like the peace sign. Like <laughs> I could see him doing something like that. But I, I think there will be something, uh, something along those lines, like a like a a, a very uh, understated, like sort of like, you know, that sort of thing walking off. That's that's my prediction. I want them to cue the Hulk Hogan intro music. I want him to take the hoodie off and he's wearing red and yellow. And he just it just rips the shirt off, snow behind him, and he salutes everybody in the crowd. People say, holy shit, was that a moment. Never going to happen, but it would be a lot of fun. We almost did yep. an hour today. I'm not feeling well. Holy moly. Yeah, I'm not feeling well. You're powering through. You're doing better than Trent Brown. Yeah, that's right, baby. That's right. <laughs> You're um, tougher than Trent. <laughs> uh, if I could Who's, only get... His, Trent Brown, illness, sick of football. Yeah, if I could only get paid like Trent. Um, yeah. So we did almost an hour. Me not feeling well. A game that nobody cares about proves that Greg and I can talk for an hour just about anything. So that was proven today. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay safe during the weekend with the snow coming in. We'll see how all of this ends. I mean, uh, next week's episodes are certainly going to be fascinating to do, whether he, whether Belichick stays or goes. Until then, be well. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattle.